Love and marriage, love and marriage goes together like a horse and carriage. This I tell your brother, you can't have one without another. <laughs> Thank you, Max. Thank you so much. Nobody has sung that one, so that's great. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. I, I, I've been so excited about having you on the show to talk about this because this is uh, this is very important to begin with. So we are going to talk about safety and uh, hard hats and helmets and all kinds, basically protecting our head. Um, yeah. and, and obviously we'll, we'll touch a lot on the construction industry. Um, and then if you want to let everybody know where, where you're calling in from. Yeah, my name is Max Strammitz. I am the CEO of MIPS, and I am based in Stockholm, Sweden. Nice. Okay, so this is our first show in Sweden, which is great. I've got a few contractors that will definitely jump on the show next year, and I'm looking forward to talking to them about construction and how they build a lot better than us Canadians over here. So uh, we'll have fun with that. But uh, yeah, so everybody can reach out. Uh, it's MIPS, M-I-P-S, and it's www.mipsprotection.com, and it's info at mipsprotection.com, and all over social media, it's under the MIPS Protection name. You will find them. Uh, I want to give a, a quick shout-out to coach d i'm wearing his hoodie today uh from pure motivation and uh that's it so now i want to get over to you how did it all start over uh with you max how did this all begin yeah i mean the, the story about mips actually started already 25 years ago it started with a very frustrated neurosurgeon that got a lot of patients on his table which suffered from severe brain injuries despite the fact that they were helmet. He realized quite quickly after doing some quick research that helmets didn't always protect you from the type of impact that you actually face in real life scenarios. So he started to do a lot of research. He teamed up with the Biomechanic Institute of Stockholm, the Royal Technology Institute which have a lot of biomechanical experts. He found two of them and they started doing a lot of research on how can you actually evaluate helmet and their performance in a different way. They quickly realized that most helmet is tested from linear impact. So if you get a straight impact to your head, but however, normally you have some kind of tangential force yeah. when you are having head, Im head impacts and so on. And that's what they started doing a lot of research about. The first publications about MIPS came out in uh, five years later, which was in 2001, where they started to have the first white paper publications about what do they actually want to address. Fast forward, they started doing their own helmet first. That ended up in a disaster because, of course, they didn't know how to do helmets, so they got a lot of issue than anything to do with the project or product. They then started uh, the strategy of having an ingredient brand. That's where we are today. We started in sports. That's where we have had a lot of success. I mean, most people going out buying a bike helmet or snow helmet today knows about MIPS and what we're doing. We have also been very successful in motorcycle, both off-road and on-road helmets and so on. When it comes to safety and especially relating to hard hats and construction helmets, we have actually been disqualifying ourselves. We have, like a lot in the industry, thought about people are mostly getting hurt from getting dropped objects, especially the famous brick scenario yes. that everyone talks about, that there is only falling bricks in a construction site. Yeah. We believe in that story too. <laughs> Yeah. But of course, when we started looking into the subject, we first of all wanted to know what is actually the risks that we want to address. So we did a big survey together with a PhD from Chalmer University in Gothenburg. Okay. She studied accident statistics all over the world and actually said, what are actually the key risk scenarios? What are the type of accident scenarios? that we want to address. We looked into the data, and if you take the data for the uh, US uh, statistics and so on, you realize that the brick scenario is only about 16% of the traumatic head injuries or brain injuries. 
versus when you look at uh, slips, trips, and falls, you have 60%. When you look at moving objects, which can be both forklifts and so on, but also steel bars moving across the site, you get another 20%. So we quickly realized that indeed there is tangential forces that needs to be addressed, uh, addressed also in safety. We quickly accelerated the work and also did a lot of surveys and research on our own to really make sure that we can address the relevant uh, injury criteria. And that's why we are here today. So what did you guys, when you started designing your hard hats, because obviously your hard hats have been around for quite some time, and I, I'm assuming you could tell me more, that every country has designed their own for their own applications. They really didn't look outside of the country. Is that generally the case when it came to protecting the head? Yeah, and, and I mean, MIPS does the technology inside a hard hat, not the hard hat uh, as such. But of course, when you look at the different standards that there is around the world, they are addressing more the falling objects. Dropped objects is what they mostly designed to do. But it's also very strange because sometimes in order to pass one standard, you have to fail another. Yes. So they are not even addressing the same type of things or they are not testing gen uh, in a generic way. And of course, we see in a lot of the regulatory bodies uh, that we sit that now people are actually uniting under one way to look at hard hats, one way of evaluating hard hats. And I think that will uh, help the industry also going forward because when there is no standards, everyone tries a little bit on their own. I think the more united we can be in saying that these are the key risks that we want to address then we can also bring the whole industry forward in a very united way and and that's what's happening at the moment i would love max if you can because uh, i'm sure that you have the data and you guys have done this what even though it's a falling brick and it's six percent and slips and falls yeah. is 60 percent and then all yeah. kinds of uh lateral movements of moving lumber moving metal moving anything what happens to the head when you are here wearing a hard hat and you get such a dramatic force coming right on your head, hitting your head on the top and on the sides, or you're slipping and your head is making contact with a flooring or another object, what exactly is going on with our heads when that happens? Yeah, I mean, if you look at, at hard hats uh, as in general and so on, they are normally quite good of uh, absorbing straight Force. So if you take, for instance, of a traditional hard hat, you look at the harness system that you have inside and so on, that's designed to manage in a straight force and so on. And they do that quite well. Normally, however, you're very lucky if you get a break straight in the crown impact of your head. Yeah. Normally, you can get it on the side. Normally, what happens, depending on the speed and so on, of course, is that you get it on the side, you have some kind of tangential force, if it's not from a very high height, normally not a lot will happen other than you are exposed to, of course, a tangential force. A lot of cases you can actually go back to work. Then, of course, if you have more severe impacts or if you slip or you trip uh, in another way and so on, then, of course, you can have a much more severe impact and so on, which could lead to a traumatic brain injuries or other types of head injuries and so on. Right, that's interesting. And I, I mean, I'm a cyclist and I'm a motorcyclist as well. So I'm always fascinated about uh, that the head protection is there. Is The technology is different. You guys approach that differently because it's a greater force. Would it be? Not to diminish the construction forces, but I just assume that in those scenarios, it's a far greater force uh, impacting you. Now it can be. And, and I mean, you have all kinds of impacts also in the construction sites. And and everyone is always, uh, so to say, making a lot of correlation between velocity and force. And of course, that's one thing, but also the kind of angle you hit the ground with could also be an, a part of that equation. So there is not only the high speed impacts that is really the most dangerous, sometimes a very low speed can also be of high impact like you're just falling to the ground or you're slipping or tripping and so on without a lot of velocity, still you are introduced to a tangential force. And a lot of the, the impacts that we have looked at, we see actually already at very low 
uh, force, you can have already quite severe impact. So even if you have an accident and I have exactly the same accident, we will not have the same outcome. We are different age and of course different shape and so on. So all of that can also have an impact to very injury or very every, every type of injury is very much unique. So what is it exactly that MIPS does to kind of protect our heads? Yeah. So, I mean, what we try to do is we try to redirect force away from the head. Uh, and of course, we do that with a slip plane technology. So when you're having some kind of tangential force, the worst thing that can happen is that your head gets stuck. Okay. When it gets stuck, normally inside your head, your brain is floating in water. So if I move my head a little bit, you know that your brain will move a little bit. And that's okay, because that's the way we are designed to, to work. And that's the body or the human anatomy. The worst thing that can happen is that when you get to that sudden stop, the force needs to go somewhere. And the brain is quite sensitive to that kind of force. What MIPS tries to achieve is then to have a relative motion between the head and the helmet of ideally 10 to 15 millimeters to be able to redirect that force and avoid that the head gets to that sudden stop. So if you look in a close up in the helmet and you also see that in a lot of the, our testing and so on, you actually see that the head stays relatively still, but the helmet moves on the head at that impact. And that's the kind of motion we want to create when we are redirecting the energy and so on. Everyone talks about eliminating energy. And if you don't want to win the Nobel Prize in physics, you know that it's very, very difficult to do that. <laughs> that's why we talk about redirecting energy, because that's normally a thing that you actually can achieve. Is it redirected at all sides of the helmet? Yeah. It, of course, we try, we cannot, since you don't know what type of accident you, you want to have, you need to have a technology that is omnidirectional. So it can actually move in all types of angles and all kinds of directions. And that's what we try to achieve. So being a, a motorcyclist, when I got into my first accident, not that I've been in several accidents, but you can, um, as soon as you make that contact, that helmet is pretty much done. You can't reuse that yeah. helmet. You weakened it, and now it's not uh, its not going to protect your head anymore. Is that the case with all every helmet out there? So if it's it's kind of designed for a one application, doesn't matter if it's a small hit or a very hard hit. Is that the idea? No, and, and I love that you say that normally when you have an accident, you should uh, change your helmet because in most cases, it is actually true it's very seldom that you know that you had a big impact and the, actually the helmet is as good as it was before the helmet and of course it's your head so you want to protect it in the best possible way at some lower impacts of course with the construction helmets they are sometimes designed to manage that lower impact and so on but just to be sure if you have an impact do always change the helmet because of course you can never be certain and why take a risk I mean, my math was very simple. I just, the cost of a new helmet versus the cost of my head. Uh, yeah. It just, the numbers are not aligned. So I just, I just, new helmet is, that's what's going to happen. Um, yeah. So I and, and a lot, lot of the helmets, especially in motorcycle and, and, and also what you see in bicycle is normally made with some kind of foam that is actually designed to compress during impact. And of course, once it has compressed, normally you can't use it. Uh, you see much more of those type of helmets also now in construction helmets and also in a lot of the harness system. You never know exactly what kind of impact the helmet have been tested for. You don't know if there is cracks or anything in the harness system. So why take a risk? Is there, and that's what I wanted to get to is, um, uh, can we um, inadvertently damage our helmet? From, from, I guess, applying decals or working around certain chemicals or anything like that? Can we make it weaker? Can we into, uh, kind of compromise the structural integrity of that helmet by, by working our day-to-day -day events? Yeah, I mean, of course, it depends on, on which uh, type of risk. But of course, there is things that can make the helmet worse and then so on. Normally, most of the big construction companies have extremely professional uh, health and safety engineers and so on, and they will probably provide you with the best type of recommendation for that specific works. 
But of course, there is always areas where you need to have regular inspections. You need to check your helmet and so on. Normally, especially in the US, there is annual inspection cycles and so on. That is not that common in Europe, but we really like those where you take um, safety seriously, you do inspect the helmet to make sure that you have one of your most important protective tool in the type of structure and order that you would like to have it. So, um, of course, but it all, every case is a little bit, there is so many types of works out there. There is so many type of exposures and so on. And normally uh, the people in the industry are the experts on the yeah. industry. Just do your own research. I was going to ask you, I, 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 from my understanding, every kind of PPE, protection, personal protection equipment, um, there's an expiry date. Yeah. Like every single yeah. one. Uh, yeah, most most of them there is. And, and I mean, both from a warranty point of view, because, of course, these, uh, this equipment is tested to really do the job when you have the injury and so on. And of course, with all that comes, of course, a warranty, nothing lasts forever. And it's really important to respect that. What should we be looking at when we're looking at our, our protection, our helmets? Uh, should we be looking, just inspecting it on a, a weekly or monthly basis? We should be looking for cracks or, or gouges or things like that? Yeah, I think, I mean, first of all, where do you actually wear your helmet? Because of course, Normally, you need to clean your helmet because a clean helmet is much easier to make the proper inspection and so on. Uh, but it's also to consult the, the best industry expert in your area because, of course, it all depends. But a clean helmet is always easier to inspect. Then, of course, it's also important that we, I see that especially in a lot of other countries where people wear normally a hat underneath their, their hard hat and so yeah. on, then yeah. sometimes you actually... Uh, prohibit the helmet to do the job that it's supposed to do. So, of it's, course, it's also important to not wear the helmet without having the shin strap on if it has a shin strap. It's there for a reason, maybe not always the most comfortable one, but, I mean, it's important to have the helmet on the head when you have an impact. Without the shin strap, you cannot always say that you will have that. It's interesting that you bring that up because in our green book, Our Safety Here, you yeah. are allowed to put a cap underneath. You are allowed to put a toque underneath because we, we still work in the colder temps and, and a lot yeah. of uh, tradespeople want to wear baseball caps underneath. They do allow it, but they still reference it by saying uh, still adhere to the manufacturer's uh, precautions regarding that procedure, right? Yeah. I was going to ask yeah, you. But, sorry? Yeah, go ahead. sorry. No, go, no, ahead. go ahead. I was going to ask you, who is the safest country when it comes to head protection and who's the least safest country oh that's a good question i think i mean in uh, every country or every um, uh, region i would say there is normally a regulatory body and in europe uh, for safety that is under a standard core en 397 is under a working group called one which is in, under the european union they are addressing safety standards and actually revising the standards. And then in US, it's under the ICA. And they are also working on addressing that. I think it's impossible to answer which is the safest, which is the best, because they're all designed to address different things. I think my true hope is that it will align so all the manufacturers are under one standard that is constantly being revised about the relevant risk scenarios that you have in the worksite or workplaces and so on. And then everyone can improve against that standard, not having two different ones. And if you are a manufacturer in US, you do not have the same priorities that you have in Europe, for instance, because I think that's counterproductive in terms of what you actually want to address. Is there a lot of communication going on, Max? Are, are, are everybody kind of working in the same sandbox? Uh, no, I think we are at least in the same playing field. I mean, I was. Uh, we have representative in uh, Europe, of course, uh, and then I was actually at the annual meeting with ICA uh, a couple of weeks ago in Washington. I was super happy to hear the way uh, the industry is being organized to address these type of issues. And I think what really made me very happy is that when the helmet manufacturers goes to that meeting guns are down 
They talk about general safety aspects. Everyone was extremely collaborative and they want to push the industry forward. And that really made me happy, not talking about who is competing with who. At that meeting, guns were down and everyone did their job pushing the industry forward. And that made me really happy. That's good to see that. That's totally very good to see that. Um, I want to share a little bit of history here. I'm sure that you probably know some of this stuff. Uh, who invented the hard hat? Uh, I don't know, but I think it's actually Bullard were, who was the first company that came that's, out with it. That's headband. exactly right. Edward, R. Bull, uh, Edward W. Bullard, uh, he was a young lieutenant in the U.S. Army, World War I. Uh, before the war, he was exposed to life and dangers of mining through his father's company, E.D. Bullard. Uh, 1919, uh, Bullard patented the hard-boiled hat. That's what it was called, made of uh, stem canvas, glue, and black paint. The same year, the U.S. Navy commissioned Bullard to create a shipyard protective cap that began with widespread use of hard hats. Uh, he actually began his concept uh, with protective headgear in 1915, but wasn't until after his experiences in World War I that his design finally took shape. He opted to use a heavy duck canvas, which was then formed to fit the human head with steam, hence the name hard-boiled hat. Um, and then also, when was it? Uh, when was it invented? The hard hat. It was first invented in 1882 uh, with the patented pulp manufacturing company. Produced the first ever mass-produced hard hat to protect workers. The British company, who later became Centurion Safety Products, manufactured a helmet from pulp, which was mixed with lime and fed to uh, farmers. Um, OSHA regulations regarding caps under um, underneath hard hats. So this is what we were just talking about. OSHA actually allows the workers to wear baseball hats or caps underneath a protective hat if it doesn't interfere with the hearts, uh, the hard hat's ability to protect your head, but you have to check the manufacturer's labels. Now, I just want to let everybody know different colored. Uh, I think this is international. Different colored hard hats mean different uh, occupations or different uh, priorities, right? So a white hard hat is often seen uh, for people that are worn by supervisors, uh, position managers, architects, engineers. A green is typically worn by uh, safety officers or inspectors or new hires or trainees. A yellow is operating uh, heavy machinery. Earth movers often wear yellow. Uh, brown is for welding and high heat jobs. Orange is for high-vis, uh, most road construction workers. Blue is electricians and carpenters. Um, red is firefighters and emergency vehicles or emergency training. Gray is often visitors to the worksite. And then pink is for mostly female workers, but certain businesses have discouraged using the pink because it's also given to workers who forgot their hat. So when I first heard mm -hmm. that, Max... I exclusively started wearing pink hard hats. I just said, this is just <laughs> ridiculous that you're kind of giving the new person uh, here, wear this in shame. And I'm like, you shouldn't be in shame of anything to protect your head. So it doesn't matter to me. So I started wearing pink and I started buying pink extension cords, pink t-shirts. I was like, and I just dismissed it all. That's all. The whole point was to protect the head. That's why I just mm. cared about that more. Um, I want to, what else, do you, where do you want to go from here, Max? I'm trying to figure out what is, because I really want to dive into the science behind it all and how it all like really works and, and protecting us and where you guys are going to go, because this has been for 25 years now. How do you guys see the future of, uh, of head protection? Yeah, no, and, and I think, I mean, as a scientist, our work never stops. No, it doesn't stop in the sports helmet industry. It doesn't stop in the motor uh, industry, and it for sure doesn't stop in the safety industry. I think there is a lot of different areas which we always need to address because sometimes the best helmet is always not the best helmet. And when we talk about the best helmet, because it's not comfortable or it's too big or it's too heavy. So you actually have an impact on other areas. Like you have a very heavy helmet and all of a sudden after eight hours, you have a sore neck. So we look in a lot of different areas and, and really want to evolve in a lot of different areas. Like heat stress is a super important area. How do you make sure that you actually reduce the heat stress when you start sweating or getting hot in a helmet, where does it actually start? You need to know that, you need to understand that to make sure that you can address it properly. We see a lot of examples where people put fans in some helmets, they yeah. want to talk about that. 
without knowing actually what are they wanted to address because sometimes you just pump the, the air around the helmet and you haven't achieved anything and so on. So that is an area for us that we really want to look into. Then, of course, making the helmet as comfortable as possible. It's super important. We really want people to wear the shin strap. If you look at the shin strap, a lot of people have beards. And if you have beard, you perceive it to be a little bit itchy and so on. How can we actually make it a lot more comfortable? Also, the neck retention system. Is there ways to address it to make sure that you actually don't have any point pressure on the head and so on? So I believe that one of the most important safety aspects is comfort, yes. ventilation, and so on. Because if the helmet is not comfortable or well ventilated, you will not wear it because it's not a product that is good enough to wear. So we look a lot into that. Then, of course, we also look into what are really the most important relevant injury scenarios. Is there other areas that we want to address? We started, like I said, in, in construction helmets. We know that uh, mining helmets is super important. Oil and gas is an area where you have a lot of exposure and so on. Offshore is one part of that logistic helmets and so on. So I don't think or I hope that our work never stops. The more that we can push the industry forward, the better it is. We spend a lot of money in collaborating with universities around the world because, of course, there can never be only one view. It needs to be a lot of different aspects that you need to consider. Also, the challenge is a very big area. When you talk to the U.S. population, heat stress becomes a big issue. Yeah. Also, in a lot of the emerging markets, fatigue becomes a big issue and so on. So you really need to understand that area. In Europe, that's not even a hot topic. <laughs> so, sorry for the bad joke, but it's <laughs> no. a joke, but bad phrasing. Uh, but it's really an area where they talk about other things and so on. So I think really relevant head protection in the areas that you want to address is important area and so on. A lot of the test equipment that, that there is today is only about falling objects. So we bought our own 90 kilo guy. He is a test dummy that we bought from the car industry. He gets a lot of beating. We drop him from scaffolding. We will soon have a Christmas party. I think <laughs> we'll have a, a good show also then. What's his but name, Max? Really, have you guys named right? him? Uh, Helmet. His name is Helmet. <laughs> okay. Yes, exactly. <laughs> No, but for us, it's really important to have that kind of experimental test to see what happens in a lot of scenarios. And that's why I'm so keen about the shin strap is that when you fall from height, normally in a lot of cases, you hit your butt first. When you hit your butt first, normally the head goes a little bit backwards. In a lot of those scenarios, the helmet actually falls off the head and then you're unprotected. And that's an area where we learned a lot of looking at how do you actually fall, why is the shin strap so important, and what can you do to address it, and so on. So a lot of different things. I'm going to be honest, Max. Here in construction, I have yet to see a chin strap helmet. Yeah. But it's a very valid point because of those slips and falls. If slips and falls are 60%, and you yeah. are falling to the side, to the back, to the front, or whatever, the first thing that comes off your head is the helmet yeah and so it doesn't protect you so i, I and i was going to ask you how does one pick a helmet because the biggest problem that i see or when people do, uh, speak to me about a uh, hard hat safety is they don't feel it's like you said it's not comfortable it's not fitting yeah. right so then i don't want to wear it so i'm constantly wanting to take it off your objective with mips and everything is to create a helmet that it doesn't feel like you're wearing it but it's still protecting your head so how does yeah. one find that right helmet to protect your head no, and, and I think, I mean, the best helmet is the one that you actually wear. If you don't wear it, it doesn't matter how good it is. So it should be comfortable, of course. Uh, it should also fit in your head. A lot of people wear the helmet on the top of the head, which is normally not good enough. So it should really cover a big part of the head. That's the most uh, important thing and so on. And then normally with the bigger construction companies and so on, you do get the short list of helmets. These are the helmets that we are recommend. They have normally gone through a big inspection with the construction companies. They have also required for test results and so on to make sure that it's a good helmet. I would pick one of those. And then, of course, 
certified helmets, certification is there for a reason and so on. I hope that the certification standards increase and also make challenges even tougher in terms of certification because, I mean, it's about people and, of course, we want to address them in the best possible way. So I think that's the recommendation I, I can give you. The best helmet is always the one that is on the head. Yeah, it's always on the head, true. And are you guys uh, here in helmets here in North America, in Canada and the U.S., is there the MIPS certification on the helmets? Can I find that or how does that work, the technology? Yeah, so today we have uh, two uh, American partners that we work with, PIP okay. and also Ergodyne, uh, have both MIPS helmets on, on the market. There will, of course, come more uh, during next year, so you will see more helmets uh, on the market and so on. So, yes, it exists. Okay, that's good to know. Um, what else do you want to share? I, I'm actually I'm curious, Max, the whole range of helmets that you guys have actually studied and work with. Uh, and outside of construction, outside of cycling, outside of motorcycling, you guys are doing rock climbing, adventure sports. You're doing all kinds of, I mean, what is the whole range? What's that list like? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of different helmets today we are uh, doing in sports, uh, of course, climbing helmets, we are doing or mountaineering helmets that they normally call snow helmets, uh, we are doing also uh, bicycling helmets, uh, equestrian helmets, uh, off-road helmets in motorcycle, adventure helmets, we are also doing motorcycle helmets, e-scooter helmets, uh, military helmets, um, uh, we're doing technology for uh, fire brigade helmets also, so a lot of different areas, but all of them have one common thing, uh, and that's there is some kind of tangential force. Yes, We would yeah. never just become a marketing sticker on the helmet. We always, before we go into a helmet, we look at what are the relevant injury scenarios that we need to address, and can we do that? For instance, we started looking into baseball a couple of years ago, where we looked at a lot of the engineering scenarios that we saw, we were not that relevant because it was a different type of impact. Almost like the woodpecker, you get the, the baseball ball towards your head and so on. And there was not a lot of tangential force. We said without that, there is no reason to be there. And therefore, we actually said at one point, we will probably also be in a baseball helmet, but we need to understand what is the risk we're actually going to address? So, of course, we spent a lot of time in our research, half the company's engineers, that is focused on what we're doing today. We have six PhDs in the companies. We do about 1,000 tests per month. And that, of course, is really important for us, 12,000 tests in a year, just to understand where we are today. So, of course, the company has been awarded with a lot of awards, um, like the Engineering Nobel Prize, you can almost say that, which is the Polem Award in Sweden, which was extremely happy to receive that, and a lot of other rewards. But our journey never stops. I am the CEO uh, today. At one point, of course, there will be another CEO that is pushing this journey forward because, of course, it's a great product. I want to backtrack to construction and... I, I want to discuss how serious, even though it's the smallest of head injury, because we're dealing with contractors here, that they're more thrilled that if they did get hit or something did impact their hard hat, that they survived, that they made it. And their first yeah. thought is not to uh, get medical attention or not, not to look at themselves or not just get right back to the job site. But can you fairly, like through all your research, can you kind of say that, it doesn't matter how hard or how little you were hit on the head, you should still be looked at? Yeah, I, I would say you should always. Why take the risk? Yes. Uh, there is a lot of technology being developed at the moment where people look at what kind of impact you actually had to your helmets and so on, both mechanical and non-mechanical uh, technology and so on. And I think that's a, for sure a step in the right way. But just having an, an inspection is always good to really see what actually happened. We see that also in a lot of sports where, I mean, it's more important to win the match than actually look at what actually happened. And of course, there is so many different scenarios, which is not even 
involving a helmet where you can have head injuries and so on. Uh, my son plays uh, soccer where you normally don't wear a helmet and so on. He had had two concussions. The last one, I had to pull him out of the pitch because he had no clue where he was going, oh. but he was going to win the match. Yeah. And that kind of, of, so to say, risk scenario is always someone else to judge if you're okay, not you, because you had an impact. It's not sure that you're okay. So, I mean, always go for an inspection, always do as much risk elimination as you can because in the end it's your head that's one of the most important things it's you have. how valuable you you see your head that's all it is yeah. there's no reason yeah. if you don't get it assessed or just looked at and uh, and it could be something critical you're not yeah. coming back to work that's the thing no all right that's interesting what else do i want to know max no i think i mean uh, i think the thing that is really happening, and, and especially I think in, in the US market, um, when we were at the ICA meeting, there were four or five end users. So there were people from Walmart, there were people from Clarks and so on. And what I was most impressive on is on their search to always go for better equipment and so on. I think the whole American industry, the way they talk about have, wanting to have safer equipment for the users, that gives me a lot of reassurance that we go the right way. Price is normally not the key issue. No. It's about understanding what you want to protect and so on. So I think US has probably come further than we see the European market. Europe, Europe is still a couple of years behind because it's still so much about price. Everything comes at a cost, but in the end, it's your workers. And of course, you want them to have the best possible equipment, whatever they do. And I think U.S. is a lot more advanced with that, caring about their workers and so on. And that made me uh, really reassured about the industry, at least, is going the right way. Now, sizing. Um, not everybody has the same head or shape no. head or size of a head. Uh, that's a critical factor as well in your testing and how it all works. Yeah. Yeah, and, and I think also there, the whole system about neck retention system, because again, about comfort and so on, nobody wants to have a hard hat that is too small, yes. but also you shouldn't have a hard hat that is too big either. So I think there you will probably also see a lot of development uh, over time where people are having more versatile um, uh, retention systems and so on, where you have less point pressure, but also sits better on the head. Because, I mean, head size ranges is quite big, and you see that in all kinds of sports. But when it comes to construction, normally you only have one or at best two sizes to pick from. And then the neck retention system should do the job. Normally the neck retention system is only putting around your forehead and the back head but of course the helmet sits on the whole head and you need to make sure that you have solutions to address that also how critical does weather play in i mean if we're talking about extreme heats and extreme colds how does that factor in with head protection or does it factor in i mean heat is never good because of course heat stress is an important area but also when things are getting colder normally especially plastic and those type of materials, they normally work less uh, or have less performance when it's cold outside. So, I mean, there is a reason why you in regulatory bodies and so on, test helmet both for cold and for heat to make sure that they perform in any type of weather conditions and so on. So they are tested from that and so on. But where you have the most challenge is, of course, in the cold test that you normally go through. How extreme do you guys get on the testing? How yeah, I can only yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm not that good at translating into Fahrenheit, but it, it's really, really. Don't worry, cold I'm Canada, so it's Celsius. You can talk Celsius. Yeah. <laughs> so normally you would test it for at least twenty and even further down below than that. So normally what you do is you you put it in in a freezer, and then what you do is that you need to test it within a certain period of time to make sure that it's still cold and so on. To really stress it as much as you can you can go down to 50 degrees minus and so on to really make sure that it performs in all types of weather conditions 
Nice. Uh, I want to share a little bit of our building code here. Uh, yeah. We've got some terminology that uh, I'm actually going to start sharing because a lot of uh, tradespeople in the industry don't even know some of this terminology. Uh, air barrier system means the assembly installed to provide a continuous barrier to the movement of air. Um, ad freezing means the adhesion of soil to a foundation unit resulting from the freezing of soil water. Assembly occupancy uh, means the occupancy or use of a building or part thereof by a gathering of persons for civic, political, travel, religious, social, educational, recreational, or like purposes for the consumption of food or drink. Uh, braced wall band means an imaginary continuous straight bands extending vertically and horizontally through the building or part of the building within which brace walls panels are constructed and breaching means a flue pipe or chamber for receiving flue gases from one or more flue connections and for discharging these gases through a single flue connection so we just try to educate as many people as possible <laughs> max yeah, uh, i learned a lot <laughs> <laughs> no so I, I i love what you guys are doing i I'm, I'm so grateful that you guys got you reached out and we got talking about it because this is uh we joke about it all the time and on on the green book i think through the course of the show on how many shows we've discussed it I personally find that uh, for the safety side, if you're not wearing a hard hat on the job site and you get caught by the inspectors, it's only a $250 fine. And I've always said it's that's too low. It's too little. It's yeah. it makes it doesn't deter, you know. And I just I wish it would go up more. And and a lot of people have been caught not wearing it, including myself. Um, but I definitely think that it should be higher. Um, I don't know what the fines are around the world. I can only focus on what it's like here. But I think that we should put more uh, critical awareness on these uh, situations. Yeah. No, I can, I can only agree. I think it is uh, so important. And, and I mean, imagine when you go out, you see your kids on the bike without the helmet. Of course, you would be angry. Imagine if they see their father doing those type of things without having a helmet. I think they would be really sad. Yeah. That's very, very true. Um, I'm just trying to figure out what else do I uh, want to ask you here, Max? I, don't, I think, I mean, in terms of, of so to say, I, I'm really happy about, about the show and also what, what you talk about. I think, like I said, when I was in the U.S., I was so happy about uh, the industry, the way it talks and collaborates and so on. I think also... Having much more end-user experience is also super important because in the end, those are the people that is going to wear the helmets and so on. If there are things in the helmet that is not good, I mean, challenge the industry, ask for, so to say, better or more comfortable helmets and so on, because I think that's also a very important areas. We try to create our own reference groups and so on. We try to see if there's things where we can do in terms of sweat absorption in a helmet, cooling fabric in terms of uh, uh, making sure that it's as cool as possible and so on. So there's always things to learn. So if anyone has any feedback on, on the MIPS solution or other things in helmet, we are always eager to listen because, I mean, in the end, we do it for you guys. Well, it... Um it's it's interesting some of the stuff that you brought up will we ever get to the point where it will almost be a body brace that's connected to the helmet because i figure that the next part of a, a human body that's very vulnerable after the head would be the neck and mm -hmm. if the head is protected but then you're not protecting the neck so i could just see the evolution of a hard hat becoming a body brace and all being one unit so you can kind of protect that whole upper portion of the body yeah no and and i think i mean there is a lot of things about the neck and we have done a lot of studies on on the neck also because of course that's an also very interesting uh, the neck is fantastic and the way that it actually handles force and so on the impact is that when you start isolating the neck too much at impact you can actually have an opposite effect when it comes yeah. to the head and, and the brain and so on. So you need to be very careful on how you do it. Uh, there is uh, a lot of, so say, neck bracelets and so on around there and so on. But the end, also when it comes to heat, you add more things on onto you and so on. So of course, 
I think and hope that there will be a lot of innovations also in that area because, of course, I, I don't, I'm not sure that there actually will be one piece, but hopefully two pieces where they are not, so to say, contra, contraproductive in terms of what they're trying to address and so on. Then you also have other types of protection on your body and so on. Normally, what happens when you wear a lot of protection, you add a lot of weight. Yes. And of course, if you're a worker wearing one kilo too much, uh, of course, that gets and adds a lot of weight. So we also need to be mindful in, in terms of what are the key priorities and what are the key priorities to wear. Uh, of course, there is also a lot of airbag solution coming out there and so on, which could also be an area to address certain things and so on. I think the good thing is that just sitting here and discussing it at least made me much more aware that there is so many things happening. And of course, the industry is pushing all about safety forward. And that will, of course, also result in a lot of progress. In Canada, for instance, we do a lot of work with uh, University of Ottawa, okay. uh, with Lane Hushisaki and his team. Uh, we have a research five-year res research program with them. And there we are testing a lot of different things that we're not testing in Sweden and so on. And for us, that's super helpful to get impacts from or insights from all over the world. And you guys, are they also going right to the boots on the ground and speaking to people that are actually on the job sites and, and experiences that they're going through? Yeah, and so far they have actually been more on the work on the equestrian off-road and on-road and so on. Uh, over time, for sure, we will also do work on, on, so to say, more like workforce and so on. But in Canada, we have not addressed that yet, but I'm sure it will come in the coming years. I, I think it's, like, it's, it's fair to say that whenever you're on the job site, it's when you take off the hard hat that all of a sudden, within minutes, you'll hit your head on something or something will make yeah. contact with your head. And I think everybody just needs to start getting into the the mindset. If everybody's on the job site and someone's not wearing a hard hat protecting their head, I think you don't make eye contact. I think you look at the crown of their head. I think you look at their yeah. forehead, you look above them and you just let them discover that they're not wearing what they should be wearing. And then everybody will be wearing one and everybody will stay safe. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I just, is there anything else you want to share, Max, before we kind of get wrapped it up to the last segment? No, I think we covered a lot of, of the areas and so on, interesting discussion and, and so on. Great. I'm really looking forward. I, I want to try to get a, a hard hat with a strap. I think everybody should start doing that because it's very important that you guys are doing it and we're not doing it here. I'm just going to be honest. We're not doing it here. Yeah. All right. So everybody check it out. It's www.mipsprotection.com. It's info at mipsprotection.com and it's on social media under MIPS Protection. Uh, here are the 12 questions. Max, you ready for this? Yeah. What is your favorite construction word? Create. Sorry? Create. Create. To build something. Build something. Create. Yeah, I mean, for sure. Yeah, that's what construction is about. You will actually create something and, and that wasn't there before. Yes. What is your least favorite construction word? Injury. Of course. What turns you on in construction? No, the concept of making things bigger and better. I mean, construction is all about improving or creating things that was not there from the beginning. What is uh, What turns you off in construction? I think there is still a lot of conservatism in the industry and so on that, that pulls the industry back rather than going forward. You see that in a lot of areas. Uh, we haven't been cursing, but what is your favorite curse word? And I'm kind of hoping... I don't, do not actually curse. Of course, I get excited about a lot of things, and probably it slips one or two curses, but nothing that really came to mind. Nothing. I'm not really a cursing guy. <laughs> uh, what is your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world? I like cars, especially Porsche. Any particular model? New, old? No, I, I have a Taycan today, a fully electric one, which I think is fantastic. It's really nice to drive electric car, which keeps all the things, uh, performance that you would have in, in a normal sports car. So, of course, that's a, my favorite car. Nice. What is your least favorite vehicle? I've never been very fond of buses. Uh, and the, the bad thing is, if you miss one, there will always be another one. <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you love? Yeah, I'm extremely into tools, so I like like drilling sound and tool sound in general. I think that that's really quite, if you ask my wife, 
I have way too many tools. I don't use them too often, but I collect them. What is the brand that you use or what is the brand that you like? Yeah, I think, I mean, the Vault is uh, really something that always stands for a lot of, uh, so to say, uh, quality and also it lasts forever in terms of that. Uh, so that, I would say, is probably one of my favorite. Good to hear. Uh, what constructions, or sorry, uh, what construction sound or noise do you hate? Yeah, I don't know if it's the right translation, but when you cut in insulation, Yes, that's really something that that squeaky sound is really something that that metal me. going through fiberglass. Yeah, exactly. I, it's a it's a weird sound. It is. Yeah, it is a weird sound. <laughs> what profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day? I would love to be a doctor. I mean, having the possibility to make a difference. I come from the industry of selling ice cream and sugar to kids from the beginning getting into the helmet industry and actually being able to make a difference that's really addictive so i would say if i would restart my life being a doctor would be something fantastic that's they make a lot of good things good what profession would you not like to do oh there is probably a lot of things that uh, i mean i would never be the the guy cutting the insulation in, at the work site <laughs> It's too itchy. Uh, last yeah, question. <laughs> if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? It would be fantastic if he say welcome. Welcome. Max, this has been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for sharing such valuable information. And, and I think you're right that we're getting better as an industry. Yeah. And as everybody, we're getting a lot better than what it used to be. Yes, I yeah. agree. There is a lot of hope for the world. Great. So I just want to let everybody know again, uh, www.mipsprotection.com, info at mipsprotection.com. And it's on social media, all under the MIPS Protection, uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you very much, Max. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Manny. Take right. care. Thank Bye. you. And don't go.